0: You're listening to the Into the Dust podcast, hosted by Joe Moore, presented by Belly Up Sports. Join today's episode, Colin Clark. Hey, everyone. It's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports. So how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I am very good, thank you, Joe. Very good indeed.
0: You're one of the biggest writers and people who cover Rally. How did you get into Rally?
1: You know, I guess in quite a convoluted way, to be totally honest with you. I've got no no real background, well, no background at all in Rally driving or navigating or anything like that. But my, my initial foray into Rallying was through the company that I worked for. I was a in a previous life, I was a marketing manager and a sponsorship manager uh, for a tobacco company. And we sponsored the Subaru World Rally team with our 555 brand. So uh, the second iteration of that, so when I was 2002 to 2004, uh, that was how I got. And I was responsible for that. I basically had a phone call. It, it all coincided, if you remember. I don't, are, you, are you much of a Formula One fan, Joe? No. No, okay, well done you, well done you. It's not, it's not got the same appeal as rallying. But uh, the tobacco company I work for, we, we owned the Formula One team, uh, British American Racing, and it'd been going for three years and had enjoyed uh, no success whatsoever, and had cost reputedly close on a billion dollars in those three years. And we're talking twenty years ago now. Twenty years ago, they spent a billion dollars. And they got nothing out of it. So um, our marketing director, global marketing director, decided he wanted David Richards to run his Formula One team. And David Richards said, yeah, we'll do that. And he took the whole of his rally team, the whole structure. So his marketing director, his sales director, his technical director from the rally team went across to work for the Formula One team. Um, And just as this deal was being finalized, David Richards being the shrewd and canny man that he is, mentioned over dinner to the global marketing director uh, you know we have this little rally team and your biggest global competitor wants to sponsor it and i'm on on the point of signing this deal um now, <laughs> how true that was i i've got no idea i i i i doubt very much whether it was entirely true uh but um yeah our global marketing director turned around and said okay how much are they going to pay you we'll pay you that and, and at that point uh, well, not quite at that point. The next morning, I, I get a phone call saying we're going back on the side of the Subaru World Rally team sorted out. So that was how I got involved in rallying. Um, you know, it was, it was a strange old way, and I enjoyed that for a couple of years, uh, then left the tobacco company and was very fortuitous to get back involved in rallying with Rally Radio. Uh, and that was another interesting story. I'd set up a website in the meantime called ringtones.com, Right. Uh, was it Ringtones.com? No, wasn't it wasn't. It was Speedtones.com, uh, and I was going to sell the sound of rally cars and Formula One cars and all the rest as ringtones because ringtones were enormously popular way back then. Um, so I was heading off out to Cyprus to to do some to record some rally cars, basically. Uh, but I had no equipment. So George Donaldson, who at the time was the sporting director at Subaru, had become a good friend of mine. Through the, the days with, with 555, he said, well, the guy that runs the radio, Greg Strange, um, he's got the equipment. I'm sure he'll lend you it. So he gave me Greg's number. I phoned Greg up. And Greg said, yeah, yeah, you can, you can, um, you can borrow my equipment to record the sound of cars, but you need to do me a favor in return. I, I want you to do a few stage ends, do stage end interviews for me. And I thought, well, I said yes, obviously, and then absolutely shit myself for the next three weeks until I went out. I thought, what am I getting myself into here? I've got no idea how to do radio. So I ended up taking my little brother along with me to Cyprus. And I said, look, if I can't do this, and my brother had a little bit of radio experience. And I said to him, if I can't do this, if I can't, you know, if I freeze, if I can't talk, if I'm, I'm completely garbled and just cannot do it, which I fully thought I would be, um, then I'm going to give you the mic and you can do it. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it didn't turn out that way. It, was, it turned out that actually... Uh, it was something I loved doing. I could do it. I could do it reasonably well. Um, and really, I've hardly missed a round of the World Championship since then. And that was, uh, when was that? That was Cyprus 2005. So 18, 19 seasons ago. And that's how I got into it. J- just luck. A- as is the way with these jobs, that, that you know, really are the very best jobs in the world. I think so, anyway. Sometimes you need a little bit or an awful lot of luck to get involved in it. You know, you say you were nervous the first time about how
0: going out. look, you know, like you said, tw- nearly 20 years later, and now you
1: talk to, you know, nine-time world champions.
0: Like, it's nothing. Yeah,
1: yeah. and you know what? That, that that's, I suppose, um, was never an issue for me. I, I, it was never an issue. And, I, I, not, and that might sound a little bit arrogant, but it just wasn't, because I always talked to these people as a fan, asking them the kind of questions. That, because, I, I, you know, I didn't have the technical knowledge, that other people had. I didn't have the historical knowledge, although i built that up over the years. Um, but I, and I still do, I still ask the questions that I think fans would want to ask. Um, and, and you know what? The, the drivers love that and they, and they like that approach and they learn to trust you. Uh, the, the, you know, the only reason you fall out with drivers is if they stop trusting you and they think that you are trying to stitch them up somehow. Um, but no, I, I, I never really had a problem talking to drivers. I don't really get intimidated by too many people. Oh, Tanak intimidates me a little bit these days. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that he he can be quite a scary guy. Um, but no, back back in the day, it was it was just so much fun just discovering the sport and discovering, you know, the nuances of the sport and the characters within the sport, and, and I loved it. And it you know it worked for radio, myself and Bex Williams. It, it really worked with a good kind of on-air chemistry that worked well. And uh, you know, and I got excited. I got excited by rally cars, rally drivers. You know, I, I never took for granted the fact that I was so lucky to be to be able to be there at those stage ends in places like Australia and Argentina and Mexico and Germany and France, Monte Carlo. You know, I was, I, I you know, I, I understood how lucky I was to be there, and and you know, although I had absolutely no training in media, in radio, in uh, broadcasting, uh, you know, I'd listened to enough of it over the days to know what what's fun, and what's fun is is taking. The listener along on the journey with you, and and you know, and you you never forget, as I say, that you're lucky, you're privileged to be there. And the people sitting back at home, they want to be taken on a journey, and and that's what I think we did for for all those years with Rally Radio. And and I have to say, I loved every minute of it. And and you know, even though I've now got a fabulous job with Dartfish, I, I still miss the radio. I really do. It was it was just so special. I guess the reason why I started this because
0: I didn't have any background really into like podcasting and that sort of stuff when I started two, three years ago in doing hockey. And now that's kind of spitballed into this and me writing because what got me into writing was I was pressured into doing it by a company I used to work for because they needed writers. And I was like, I'll (laughs) give it a shot. And then it just turned into, okay, I'm covering hockey now. And then I leave that company and go to another company I was like, can I cover a rally?" Because I was really to, you know, can block stuff. And I was like, can I cover a Rally? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then pretty much that just turned into my job. And then I left that company to work for the company I work for
1: now. Wow. Yeah. And and you know what? It's, it's quite often, you know, writing is, is such a, I, it's, it's a dying art. It really is. Um, but writing that, that engages people is just so, so fulfilling to read um, and I, I find I, I enjoy writing. I really do enjoy writing. Uh, but only when the moment's right, only when you know, the subject is right, the moment is right. If someone says to me, I want you to write a 2,000 word piece on this, that for me is difficult, really difficult. Or write me a rally report. I, I, I just refuse to write reports. I don't know where to start with a report. But writing and, and good writing and engaging writing, um, and particularly in rallying where there's, there's so much, there's so much color. So much around rallying that you can write about. It's not it's not a Formula One event. It's not, you know, I'm sure is it ice hockey you're talking about? You know, it takes place in a, an arena, doesn't it? And yeah. you know, we we have we have so much more color than any of those sports around our sport. And for a writer, it's just it's just like a smorgasbord, it's a smorgasbord of writing the lights, really. And I enjoy it, but I don't do enough of it. I would I would like to do a little bit more, but to be honest, sometimes I can be a little bit lazy. I like talking writing actually takes some effort to sit down and do it
0: yeah and like I can do a lot of writing I can write an article in an hour but that's because it's stuff I want to write at the time if my boss came to me and said I wanted to write such and such article I would say okay but it might be done in a while I might not do it right (laughs) away because that's not the top of my priority
1: yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It, it's really important. You, know, we, Dirtfish, you know, we, we have David Evans, who, who, you know, he doesn't like it when I say it, but he is the world's best rally journalist, but he's not just a, a great journalist. He's a great writer. He's an engaging writer. He has a style that takes people along with him. And it's really, really important for, for particularly niche sports like, like rallying that we do have a, a little bit of depth in in our writing pool because I, you know, there's so much that we're we're competing against to get particularly young people's attention these days. Um that to, to, to yeah, you can pay lip service to, to to the written kind of requirements um and just put out words and all the rest and fine, you know, you can get a thousand people to do that. But to, to, to be able to write in a way that actually draws people in and gives them a real sense of being there and a sense of going on the journey with the writer. That's a real skill. That is a real skill and really, really important in this day and age where everything is saturated. You know, the, the, the digital media market is saturated. The, you know, all the markets, you know, in terms of the, trying to get the attention of young people these days is difficult. And you, you've got to be able to do it through every medium. And for me, writing is, is uh, not a dying art, um, but one that's perhaps undervalued these days. Uh, and I wish it wasn't, but it is, unfortunately.
0: And and that's a lot of the reason why I started and that's a lot of the reason why I enjoy rally. And I don't know why a younger audience doesn't, because it's never the same. You could go mm-hmm. to the same rally a year after year with all the exact same stages. The same driver won't win two years in a row, likely, unless you're Caliro and Para, which makes it look like it's nothing but, you know.
1: Yeah, we, we, we are very lucky in that regard. And 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 as you say it is a little perplexing, but you know, it's, rallying is, is, is a sport that has all the assets to make it a sport for the modern day, you know, in terms of what, what young people require out of a sport, young people require out of characters, out of venues and all that, you know, locations. It's got everything. It's an old sport. It's a traditional sport. It's a sport that maybe hasn't adapted enough over the years. We, we haven't taken on board the changes in the way that... the particularly younger people, consume their media, the types of media that they want, we, we do have to look at it. We have to look at it going forward, and we have to, we have to make our sport kind of future-proof by, by adapting, and we haven't adapted much um, because, as you say, you know, it's, it is perplexing. It is perplexing that youngsters aren't getting into the sport in the way they should, but it's complicated. It takes place over two or three days. Kids want quick results. They want quick action. They want quick news. And that doesn't mean you can't have a two- or three-day event. It just means within that two- or three-day event, you have to be able to tell the story in short chunks that kids actually want to or young people want to buy into. And we we have abjectly failed to do that in rallying over the past 20 or 30 years. When Max Mosley left the FIA, and how long ago was that now? 15 years ago? He basically said rallying is a sport that is absolutely fit for the digital era it is the best sport we've got within the FIA's suite of sports and you know it is, it is set to explode with the digital possibilities and we've gone nowhere we've gone nowhere in 15 years uh, and it's a real shame because we do need to address the issue of, of a, an aging audience we need to address the issue of youngsters not understanding the sport which which we don't help ourselves with we, we really do complicate it and over it at times um and we need to address all those things. Otherwise, we're in for a rough ride over the next ten or fifteen years. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's difficult enough. You know, at the other end of the, the conundrum, which is getting more cars and more manufacturers, in. that's difficult. Uh, but they won't come. The two. It's a bit like the chicken and egg. They won't come unless there is a discernible product that appeals to their market. And right now, and it's got to be a relevant product. Right now, they've got options. They've got options at Dakar, and that is why. You see the likes of Audi. Dacia have just announced with with, uh, Nasser Alatia that they're going to uh, Dakar. Ford are going to Dakar with M Sport. Toyota are heavily committed to Dakar. These sports are sports that are Dakar in particular is one that, from a manufacturer's point of view, offers relevance. Now, they, they suffer from a similar problem that we do in rallying. And that you know, it's a long event, a longer, much longer event, Dakar. But you know, I was on the Dakar last year, and you know, the media room at times was absolutely packed. You couldn't get a seat in the media room. And you looked around, and I remember the second day I was in this media centre, it was packed, and there was a lot of youngsters. And I looked around, and I would say, out of 100 people in this media room, maybe seven or eight of them were traditional journalists, writing for magazines, writing for websites. The rest of them, almost all of them, were either photographers or social media teams. There was a social media team from the event itself that was about eight strong. Social media team from Motorsport in Saudi that was 16 strong. And it's like, yeah, these guys have got the right idea. They took, it was quite remarkable. Their their TikTok account at the start of last year's Dakar had about 10,000 followers. By the end of Dakar, it was over a million. In two weeks, in two weeks, they took their TikTok following from minimal, negligible to over a million followers, and and you know those are the sort of things we we are competing against in rallying, um, and that we have to get right because you know it's not as if the manufacturers, the fans, the consumers don't have a choice. They do have a choice about which sport they follow, and we have to make sure in rallying that you know, when they do make a choice between Dakar between. RX, whatever it might be, that they come to rallying and they stay with rallying. But to do that, we need to make it more relevant in, you know, to everyone, to the manufacturers and to the consumers. And uh, you know, it's not an easy solution. And people have been trying to come up with a solution to that conundrum for a long, long time. And no one's got it right yet. Um, but it is possible to get it right. And, and we just need to hope that someone comes along with some bright ideas, some, some new ideas, and puts them in place and that we get it right next time.
0: I previously mentioned Ken Block, and you mentioned the social media stuff. He kind of really helped with the young audience in some way because of his Gymkhana series, and then posting rally content. They kind of worked together in some ways, although yeah. his rally content never did as good as the Gymkhana stuff because people like to watch, you know, somebody send a car around corners a billion times, but.
1: Yeah, so, you know, so why can't we learn from that? You know, Ken Block was an absolute visionary, and you know, he's deeply, deeply missed by, by your know, people around the world. Um, and it was quite astonishing. Um, you know, the, the main news, the main terrestrial news channels here carried the story of Ken's sad passing. I know they did in Australia as well. And at the time, at the time you thought, crumbs, we, we didn't appreciate just how popular and how much of an influence this guy was having on, on the audience that we all want a part. Uh, Ken was an absolute visionary. Uh, and and do you know what? He did offer his support and his help to the WRC a few years ago. And he was turned down. Can you believe he was turned down? I, I'm still absolutely astonished by that. But the point you make there that, you know, that kids want to see you know, a bit of tyre slaying, they want to see a bit of smoke, they want to see donuts. I see no reason why that can't be incorporated. You know, we, we turn up to these venues at, at super specials. So, you know, for, for example, the one at Rally Portugal, maybe thirty, forty thousand 40,000 people. And the cars turn up and they do one lap of the super special or two laps, whatever it is. And then they disappear off. They disappear off back to service, 50 kilometers, 60 kilometers away in Porto. Um, there are opportunities there to do things a little differently. Opportunities to engage more, opportunities you know, to do some kind of display, Jim Gymkhana driving, whatever it might be. And the traditionalists will be jumping up and down, listening to this saying, what absolute Tosh and nonsense. Well, it's not Tosh and nonsense. Uh, you know, we have to look and we have to adapt. And, you know, what Ken Block did with the Gymkhana style driving, it's possible in rallying. And it is possible even to build a competitive element of Jim Gymkhana into rallying. Now, that may be a step too far for some people, um, but it's not impossible. And, and, and people that say it is impossible are living, you know, in a previous life, in a previous world, because, you know, anything is possible. We just have to have the, the, the aptitude and the appetite to make those changes and to be brave enough to say, yeah, we're going to change this. You know, the last time that anyone suggested uh, a radical change in rallying. It was Jos Capito when he was in charge at Volkswagen, and he, he suggested a really radical change for the power stage, uh, which basically meant the rally would be decided every time on the power stage. He was absolutely shot down in flames, shot down in flames uh, by just about everyone. Uh, and and you know what? Jos Capito was also right. We needed to embrace something a bit different, and we're, we're 10 years behind. Because it was 10 years ago that Jos Capito uh, put that suggestion forward. And we need to do something different. We need to do something a bit radical. Uh, and we need to be a lot more forward thinking. And, and, and do you know what? We need to be a lot more creative. Creativity is what's going to find the successful formula for us. And we're not creative enough in rallying because it is a very traditional sport. Uh, but you know, but I'm, I'm not, I, might, I might be sounding a little bit negative about it all, but I'm not. I'm very, very hopeful for the future, because there are some brilliant people around rallying who think very similarly to me. Uh, and and, and, and it's, it, it, is, it is enlightening to listen to some of these people. And, you know, th- th- there, is, there, is, there is hope for the future because we do have, as I mentioned earlier, more assets than just about any other form of motorsport, more sellable assets. It's just how we package those sellable assets and put them in front of young people and say, this is the sport for you. And that requires a visionary. That requires creativity. And that person yet is yet to step forward. But they will step forward, I'm sure of that. Um, and we'll see something different, I think, in, in the next five or, well, fingers crossed, not 10 years, but in the next five years or so.
0: And it's funny you mentioned Rally Portugal is for the Jim Gymkhana stuff and such because of the penalty that Oliver Solberg received for doing a donut yeah. there, it w- which to me was kind of in, in a polite way, dumb um, for him to receive a penalty for doing that. Well,
1: I, I'm torn on that because as the rules stand, what he did was illegal as they stand. You know, and the minute he did it, I thought you silly boy, you you're, you're going to get a penalty for that. Uh, but it was the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, he, you know, those people are there. He put on a little bit and it was a very, very little bit of a show for them. Um, but he knew, he knew he was doing something he shouldn't be doing at the time. But uh, my point in rallying is if you don't agree with the rules, then there's no point in waiting until you've broken those rules to make efforts to change them. You know, you have to look at the rules and say, actually, this one's a bit silly. And before you break that rule, go and get it changed. Don't you, know, because you, you don't have a lot of credibility, you know, after you've broken the rules going on, oh, well, these are silly rules anyway, aren't they? Well, they might be silly, but they're the rules. Um, so, no, I, I, I was torn on the Oliver Solberg thing. I, I really felt for the young lad. I thought the punishment was harsh. They could easily have given him a 10-second penalty. that wouldn't have affected the result. Um, they could have given him a fine, which he could have paid quite easily. And, and that's happened in the past year. The drivers, I can't remember, I think it was Ogier last year, Spain or somewhere, um, did some donuts and he was fined. Doing the donuts, and uh, you know, it, but again, that, that's for me. It's, it is a bit of an example of us shooting ourselves in the foot. It's the kind of behaviour that, in the right controlled environment, should be encouraged. Should be encouraged, you know, because that's what the fans want to see. So, yeah, it, it was a very interesting one in Portugal.
0: Yeah, and it it was a moment that got fans interested, and and that's why I. Oliver Solberg is one of my favorite drivers in the WRC and I want to see him succeed is because he knows how to connect with fans really well, which makes him different than some other drivers. And he knows what the fans want because he's a younger person himself. So
1: he knows what he would want to see. For the most part, that's what fans want to see. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And we need to listen to more of the youngsters going forward uh, because yeah, you know, there's no point in us old fuddy-daddies. And yeah, I've been around 20 years now. I like to think I'm reasonably creative and reasonably forward-thinking. Uh, but I know there's an awful lot of what these kids are doing these days that I just don't understand and will never understand. Uh, but someone like Oliver Solberg clearly does. You know, but Terry Neuville, he he came out in, again, it was Portugal this year, and said, look, we're just not doing enough to connect on social media. Um you know he understands. He he understands social media. He, he understands what fans are after, and uh, and we need to listen. We we need to listen to them, and we need to make sure that the right people are making the right decisions going forward. And if it's if it's you know if it's not the right people making the right decisions, at least feeding into the debate to those people should be the likes of Solberg, the likes of uh, Thierry Neville and others who, who do understand. You know, Solberg's just so well versed in it because. He has been part of his life since the day he was born, um, so it would be nuts. It would be nuts. But as I say, you know, a few years ago, Ken Block offered his services and was turned down. So, um, that was that was absolutely nuts. Um, but anyway, you know, uh, that's that's that was with a uh, a previous generation of of WRC supremos, if you like. Um, but yeah, yeah, there, there is hope. There is hope. While we've got people like Young Oliver, there is definitely hope. And you know, it it's sad that to see
0: Solberg in WRC2. Yes, I know he didn't do great last season in WRC1, but he is a talented driver. And the only way you can really get better in the WRC1 cars is if you actually drive them consistently. You can't go into WRC2 and expect to get better in WRC1. That isn't going to work well. You're going to learn the rallies, but the cars are different.
1: Cars are very, very different, uh, and it's 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 the biggest step up that we've had between the, the top tier and the next tier down. Uh, it is the biggest step, and and it's you know that's why you look at Timo Sunanen's performance. And okay, Sunanen had experience in the WRC cars. He, he wasn't experienced in Rally One cars, but he, he had quite a bit of experience in WRC cars, and that certainly helped Sunanen. But stepping up from the Rally Two car to the Rally One car is difficult. Uh, and you know Oliver last year. Um, you know, that car was so difficult to drive. That Hyundai really, really troublesome car to, to drive, difficult to set up, uh, really, really difficult to drive quickly. It came on as the year progressed, uh, for sure, it came on an awful lot. The car at the start of the year was just dreadful. Um, it then got better and better and better. But you know, Solberg just didn't get the opportunity to learn the car and to learn. You know the 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 quirks of the the hybrid the rally one car, uh, and and I I think Hyundai, I mean they were in turmoil last year. There was there was no real proper management structure in place. Um, there were various factions within the team. There was a lot of infighting going on within the team, and I think they were way too hasty in getting rid of Oliver Solberg because you right now if you said who would you promote to a rally one seat that became available. In the WRC, you'd say Solberg. Solberg is the one that, that, that puts himself up there every time. He's clearly the fastest. He has the ability. He needs to. He needs to find at times a bit more consistency. Uh, but he clearly, clearly is right now the cream of the crop. So you would say Oliver Solberg would be your choice. And and it will be interesting. You know, Mister Abitables come into Highland and talked about a young driver program. And you know, we've, we've seen obviously. Uh, Timo Sunanen going into the Rally 1 car. Uh, and who is it that's in the Rally 2 car? Uh, yeah, Lindholm in the Rally 2 car. And he goes, is that is that their young driver program? I don't know. Lindholm is a very, very talented driver. Is he as quick as Oliver Solberg? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they would backtrack. There are, there are many, many examples of teams going back to drivers that they've sacked. They've kicked out for various reasons. They've gone back to them after a year or two, in some cases, five or 10 years. Many examples in rallying of that. So I certainly wouldn't completely discount it, but it will take uh, a set of circumstances for Solberg to be back in a rally one car really quickly. I can see him being back in the next 18 months or so, but next year, I think, I think he might have to just buy this time and be a little bit more patient. I, I did talk to him because I've
0: interviewed him in the first episode of this podcast. And what he was told by Hyundai was completely different than what he what, what ended up happening. They wanted to keep him, and then I think it was the end result of the season that just made them completely change their mind and say, okay, we need more of an experienced lineup. We need to compete with Toyota, which is pretty much just shooting yourself in the foot.
1: Yeah. Um, but, but the point you make is, is, is a good one. You know, I mentioned that there was a lot of infighting. There were factions within the Hyundai team. Absolutely. You know, um, Talk to Andreas Mickelson, and he'll tell you a story. He'll tell you a story. You know, he more or less had agreed a deal to go to Hyundai and it just didn't happen. Didn't happen. He was waiting for the contract. My understanding is he was waiting for the contract to be sent through to him for him to sign it and it didn't happen. Um, so there there was an awful lot going on there that was very, very confusing for everyone, you know, for clearly team members, people within the team, people on the periphery of the team. uh, It was all very confusing last year, particularly towards the end of the year. You know, they've absolutely done the right thing this year. They put Cyril Abitabo in charge, who I like, I actually like. And when we talk about your new future for rallying, he talks a lot of sense. He talks an awful lot of sense. Um, and you know he's been there through the the formula 1 revolution if you like you know he was he was central to the formula 1 revolution but he talks a lot of sense a bit about and and Hyundai are making strides forward under him so you know, I, I that that situation last year was bizarre it was bizarre to watch it all happening from the outside um and it was very very uh, you know it was very destructive um, for particular drivers and people within the team and as I say, I think Abitabo came in, realised that, and he he seems to be pulling it all together, which is really encouraging. But yeah, I'm I'm liking the look of that man. I wasn't sure about him for the first few rallies of the year, but I do like the look of him now. And he he, he does talk a lot of interesting stuff. Some of it is 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 really really interesting. Some of it makes you scratch your head, uh, and some of it you think that's inspired, and that's quite a good combination <laughs> for for me.
0: Yeah, and and like last year a lot of i think it was after Estonia or Finland it started coming out in the media that there was a bit of separation between Tanak and Nuvo which i'm not surprised about when you put two two of the top drivers in the championship on the same team there's bound to be something there
1: <laughs> yeah look uh... I don't think it was easy. And, and I think the issue, the issue was that you've got two drivers there who are perfectly capable of winning rallies and winning championships who have very different driving styles and therefore have very different design philosophies. Um, and you know, Tanak wanted, when they realized the car was a dog at the start of the year, they put a huge amount of effort into getting a car that could win rallies. Uh, You're know, The car that Tanak wanted, in places. It was quite different from the car that Neuville wanted. So you had you had a bit of conflict there. Um, now I, Those two boys really respect each other and I genuinely believe they like each other. Uh, but they're also both very stubborn. Um, and, and who can blame them? You're, you're in a team where you can't go for a compromise between Tanak's driving style and Neuville's driving style. One of them is going to win out. They're going to go in one direction. Um, and, as it turned out, it was Neuville who won out? And you'd have to say that you're know, Neville in that car under certain circumstances. You was know, the man that can take it to, uh, to Toyota and take it to Cali Rovinpar. So I, you can't argue that they did the wrong thing, uh, because if you have gone for a compromise to try and keep both drivers happy, uh, that wouldn't have been a good situation and would not have been a happy ending. Yeah, and now
0: you know you look at it now a year later, pretty much since that came out, and now. Nouvelle's doing really well on the Hyundai and 10X, 10x uh, having a bit of misfortune in the M Sport car.
1: Yeah, so you know, Nouvelle is doing, is doing pretty well. Um, you know, yes, it, it it all looks really promising for Newville in the first quarter, third of the season. Uh, you know, there have been some fairly low, low points, and Kenya was, was the lowest of the low. Uh, But, yeah, you know, Neuville does look like he can win rallies. And and the biggest positive for Neuville is the form that he's found in Estonia and in Finland because he was miles away, miles away in the previous 10 years in Finland. Um, So to show pace there and not quite rally winning pace, he was still a little bit off the ultimate pace that was needed, uh, but it was better, way, way better than than we've seen in the past. And, and you, you can't win championships these days when there are two or three rallies on the calendar that you know you can't win. And you know, Neville was in danger of being in that situation. Uh, and you really can't win championships if that's the case. Uh, but I think, I think he's not going to win this year. That, that's guaranteed. Um, but Neville next year, yeah, yeah it's shaping up to be, to be a proper challenge next year. But again, Abitable will have bit of a dilemma on his hands. Can he next year, you know, basically, can he rely on Esa Lapi or can he demand from Esa what he's demanded this year, which is, you know, you are number two and you will give up points at any and every opportunity to Neville. Can he demand that next year? I'm not sure he can with the way that is performing. So, and that'll be an interesting one. Tanaka M Sport, yeah, it's another interesting one. Been a bit unlucky at times, really unlucky at times. Um, they've had a little bit of uh, reliability problems, a few little reliability problems uh, the odds, very very small mistake from Tanak George Donaldson tells me that it wasn't really a mistake in Finland um, I, I, I'd argue against that, it was, it was half a metre too far into that cut uh, what George tells me is that the car jumped sideways when he put a bit of steering in, um, but anyway that, that's by the by um, you know, Tanak is not having a good season. It started again very, very well, and it started very encouragingly because he was consistently scoring points when we knew they were still developing the car to suit his style of driving, and you're know, the the hope was that he would continue to consistently score points. The car would come to him, and you know what? <laughs> with the pace he was showing in a car he wasn't comfortable with, he kind of thought, yeah, when that car is right, he'll be difficult to beat, uh, but they're still working on that. That's still work in progress. Unfortunately, as I say, they've had a few bad rallies, but you know, there's a reset. There's those four weeks between Greece. There's the chance to reset. Let's see what they can do over the, the, the remaining four rallies of the year. Uh, not impossible for him to win the title this year, but highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. But you know, if he can win a rally, two rallies between now and the end of the season, that then, again, you know, it gives you hope for next season. And that's, that's where both Nouvelle and Tanakh are right now. They're all about building momentum, building... It's a strange thing to say for, for drivers who are, you know, well, in Tanak's case, an ex-world champion, in Neville's case, a potential world champion. But they build momentum, they build confidence going into the new season. So uh, that's really, really important for both of those drivers looking ahead to next year.
0: Like, Tanak is a really talented driver, and to see what he's had to face this year, it's it's unfortunate because he should
1: be... He should have been competing with Rowan Pera. Uh, there's no question. You know, Tanax drive and that Hyundai in Finland last year was probably the greatest drive that I've seen. 20 years, as I say, I've been following, rallying, and, you know, uh, there aren't many others, or there aren't any others that I can think of that were better than that drive. It was just a remarkable skill, remarkable bravery. Uh, you know, everything about Tanax drive in Finland last year was extraordinary. Uh, and it showed you the real Tannic. It showed you what he's capable of. And, and he hasn't lost any of that bravery, ability, skill, determination, focus. None of that is gone. It's just things aren't just quite going his way. So it's not all coming together. Um, and, and when it does come together, he will be a force once again and... Uh, you know, fingers crossed that will be with M Sport um, because I, I do think the two of them can work remarkably well together. So uh, fingers crossed because, you know, what we need, we, we talked about the need to sell rallying. Your rallying became, uh, you know, in terms of the competitive element, you'd argue a little bit monotonous in the lobe-dominating years in the noughties. And then you could argue when Ogier was dominating, it became a bit monotonous as well. Those two drivers, you know, dominated because of their brilliance. So we can't really complain about that. Um, but, you know, there's no question that a championship with two or three variables in terms of who can win is more entertaining, more exciting, more engaging than a championship where you know who is going to win at the start of the year. For too many years, we knew it was going to be Loeb. For too many years after that, we knew it was going to be Ojean. So we do need, we need Newville to go out of this year Feeling confident about his prospects for 24. And we absolutely need Oit Tanak to be doing the same thing. Um, you know, Tanak is way, way too good a driver not to win the title again. Uh, but, you know, that all comes down to M Sports' ability to compete against Toyota. And for Neuville, Hyundai's ability to compete against Toyota. And that is always going to be a big question with Kali Perra just doing what he does. And frighteningly, Getting better every rally, getting that little bit better. He's a heck of a boy.
0: Yeah, and and, and it was it was kind of nice to see him. And I, I don't like saying this about drivers, but it was kind of nice to see him in a way crash out of Rally Finland because a it confirmed to us that he is still human, and mm-hmm. b it it re it made the championship race go longer because if he would have won Finland, the championship probably would
1: have been over in Greece. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly, it could have been over in Greece if he'd won. Um, yeah, never nice, never to see, never nice to see a driver crashing. Never nice to see a driver or co-driver getting injured. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, uh, it did show that he can make mistakes, and it was very odd from our point of view. It was bizarre because we'd been talking to him eight or nine minutes before he crashed, and he was so relaxed. It was remarkable how relaxed he was. He was so in control of that event. And okay, he was only, I think. When he went into the stage, I think it was six seconds, around six seconds ahead of Elvin Evans. But he was in control. He was absolutely in control. He wasn't taking risks. He wasn't pushing beyond the limit. But, you know, he was first on the road. Conditions were changing and he got caught out. And that's the, that's the brilliance of rallying, you know, to, to get every single corner bang on through 340 kilometres of a rally. You, know, you have to be on top of your game and you have to understand all of those variables. And there was a variable in that corner that he didn't quite get right. Um, and, and, you know, uh, he, he made that mistake. And as you say, um, he has opened the door just, just fractionally. Certainly for Elvin Evans, that door has been opened fractionally. And Evans knows that when we go to Greece, a result there for Evans puts him really back into the into the uh, the title fight. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, Robin Perra, we know, we know in the past, has made the odd mistake. But this year, he's he's... he's I don't think he's made any mistakes this year. I really don't. I think that was certainly his first big mistake this year. I can't remember him making anything other than just just the minutest of mistakes through the rest of the season. He, he is developing into just the very best of the very best. It, it's incredible to watch.
0: Yeah, and and he's a he's a really talented driver. And you know, I, I think back to the Estonia, and I think I, I forget which stage end interview it was, but he was like this is as slow as I can go. And it was still seconds faster than everybody else. And it's like, it, it, he's just good at what he does.
1: Yeah, no, he's, he, he's a, he's a freak. He, he really is. Um, and a phenomenon, uh, all of those words overused to describe him, but all perfectly appropriate um, because he, he's just special. Um, 22 years old. He could get into any car. And I mean, any car, a formula one car, a supercar in Australia, and he would win he would win because he just has this ability to understand cars when you watch what he does with those drifting cars, drifting was a sport that I didn't understand for too many years um but now I understand how it works, I can appreciate the skill and the talent involved in drifting uh and Robin Pella gets in and does does incredible things in those cars um he he he's you know he just has the ability to understand how to make a car work um and to go fast. Where others you can't go fast. To see opportunity where others see danger. He sees that as opportunity. And when the rain comes down, the reason he's so much quicker than everyone else is he knows everyone else is going to just throttle back that fraction, be that little bit safer, take fewer risks. And he knows that if he takes the odd, you know, the odd risk more um, and puts his foot down a little bit more, he can win the rally on that one stage. And it's phenomenal. He sees risk as being an opportunity where others see risk as, as being something that they have to avoid under certain circumstances. And, and that's the mentality that makes Robin Perr a champion and would make him a, um, maybe the greatest champion we've ever seen if he chooses to do that. And I, I doubt whether he will. Robin Perr is a young man with, with big ambitions, a young man who loves driving, loves life, wants to try different things in life. And you know if he's gone in three or four years, that would not surprise me at all.
0: And, and, you know, it, we talked about, you mentioned Sunan and the team of Sunan before. I I remember sitting watching um, Finland and sitting there saying, Sunan looks quick. And then, you know, Cali Roman Perra would come along, or Elfin Evans would come along. And it's like, you just made Sunan look like his drive was nothing, and he would look like he was on the edge every second.
1: Yeah, you know, but it's difficult. It's really difficult, You're know, particularly for Sunan with with the limited experience he's got in these cars. It's it's so difficult. You know, If you're consistently taking your know, hundreds, tens of a second on each corner, which is what the likes of Evans and Robin Perra have the ability to do. You know, they break that little bit later. They accelerate that little bit earlier. They turn in just that little bit more precisely um, because they've got more experience of these cars than, say, a Sunan has. And let's face it, right now they've probably got a better car, um, but it's very, very difficult for for the likes of Sunanen to come in and and to be ultra competitive. I, I think he did a great job in, in Estonia and in Finland, and and there's maybe more to come from Sunninen. But uh, yeah, as you say, you know those those Toyotas do look, you know, visibly they they just look more more settled, more planted, more drivable perhaps than the other two cars do, and and that's what allows the drivers. If you've got confidence in your car and you've got confidence in what it's going to do, then you have confidence to push on and, and to, you know, to break that little bit later, to accelerate that little bit earlier. Um, and it is all about that extra half a percent of confidence in what your car can do that allows you to, um, to set those times. It, it is tough right now. And, you know, there is no question that Hyundai and M Sport are going to have to just push that little harder with their cars to match what Toyota have got just now.
0: To have Toyota win every year, it'll get boring eventually. That's why I would like to really see Hyundai put in the effort and to be able to win. And they can do it. They just gotta get the right time and the right time frame to do that all.
1: Well, you know, they, they need to have they need to have the right culture within the company. And I think that's where Abitable is, is changing things around a little bit. Um you when Adamo was in charge, they were 100% focused on what had to be done. And okay, there were probably still divisions within the company then, but Adamo didn't let those divisions affect you know, the day-to-day running of the company or the, the ability to win rallies. You know, He was the man that stood in front of the press when things went badly. He was the man that stood there when they were winning. Um, and he was incredibly focused on Hyundai and Hyundai winning. And he took no nonsense from anyone uh, whether that was the press, whether that was people within the team, whether that was the drivers, he took no nonsense. And if, if you, unless you were 100% committed to Hyundai and to winning for Hyundai, he didn't want to know. Uh, now, that's what was lacking after he left. And as I say, there were factions who saw opportunities for themselves within that company, uh, and it got all very messy last year. What I think is a very different style that Abitable has, but he's bringing back those dissident elements within. Hyundai's bringing them back into the centre and making sure that they're all pushing up from the centre in the same direction. And if they continue to do that, and particularly from an engineering point of view, with Effects de Maison in charge now, uh, who has got the most remarkable track records, uh, with him in charge of the engineering side of things, with Abitable making sure that everyone's behaving themselves and doing the right thing, there's every chance, there's every chance that, that Toyota, that Hyundai, and we're hearing there are potentially some new homologations coming for that car in the next few months. There's every chance that they will have a car that is consistently capable. And it's about consistency because, you know, they won, what, four rallies last year after a terrible start? But it's, it's about consistency. You need a car that can consistently perform. And I think that's where they're, 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 they're getting to and You know, I'm, I'm confident that by the end of this year, that car will be a, a match for the Toyota and that that's good news for the championship going forward so I have a question for you regarding I. do you think Danny Sordo will
0: drive next year for them
1: yes yeah and I don't see why not Sordo um, Sordo's in a good place right now he's in a good place personally does the rallies he, he wants to do that he enjoys there's no pressure on him particularly you know he can score fifth or sixth places you know till the cows come home um now, he's not scoring fifth or sixth places. He's quite regularly scoring podiums. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Sordo is is the ultimate team player and he's the ultimate third driver for me. Uh, and I, you know, he will, a bit of said, that he will be part of the team next year. He didn't quite commit to saying that Sordo would drive for the team next year. Uh, but I can see a situation where, where he absolutely will, again, doing four or five, six rallies um, and a second driver in that third car and we'll wait and see who that might be. Uh, but no, no, Sordo still has an awful lot to offer Hyundai. And you know what? Who, who would you take? Who, who else would you take? It's, it's difficult to, to see someone else who, who you could rely on the way you can rely on Sordo to deliver those performances and those results. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure there are many other drivers out there who could step up and would be a better option and Danny Sordo, he's he's, uh, he's a top guy. I like him a lot, and, and I still think he's got quite a lot to offer. Has he still got rally-winning pace? No. No. Um, I, I can't see him winning rallies, even on tarmac going forward. But he very much has podium still within him. And as I say, you know, give him the right instructions, a top-five finish he will deliver almost with his eyes closed. So, no, he'll be around next year. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that.
0: Say if Sordo were to go or say that third or yeah, say another seat opens up at I, at, at Iungai, who could you see
1: taking that spot Well, or who do you'd like to see? Well, you know, Sunanen making a decent claim for it. Um, Sordo and Sunanen. Mm, Sordo and Breen was a great combination. Uh, and we dearly, dearly miss Greg Breen uh, for many, many reasons. Um, but you know, Hyundai miss him you know, more than than just about any of us, uh, because your know, Craig Breen could win those rallies that he was entering. Craig Breen could have won uh, Estonia, could have won Finland, no question about that. Um, well, yeah, I think he could have won them. I, I I do think he could have won them, and you know, he could have won, uh, potentially Sweden. His last event that he did, he could have won that had we not seen your unfortunate puncture for him on the Saturday afternoon, and then. You know, those slightly botched team orders on the Sunday. Um that was a great combination. Um you know, who who in the long term replaces Craig is a very, very difficult one for I There aren't so many options. You know, you've got you've got Sunan making a reasonable claim for it, but uh, you know, can he win rallies still? Yeah, possibly, possibly. As Sunan is a driver who will get better. So have we seen his full potential? Probably not. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but, you know, silly season is yet to, to really get underway. And silly season will get underway once we get confirmation of Cali Rovin Perez's future. Once, once we have confirmation of where Robin Perez is going, then for sure, we will start to see, I suspect, a fair amount more movement in the driver's market. So, uh, you know, your question was, who would I have there? I really don't know. I don't know. You know, Would you go back to a Sebastian Loeb, for example? You know, Loeb showed us last year he can win he can win in these cars he's still got the pace um, you know Sebastian Auger will he be available I don't know I really don't know who you would go with and that's my point about Danny Sordo um, you know, we're struggling to find another name that could fill that part-time seat so your know, Sordo is, is for me pretty much penciled in already um, as one of those part-time drivers and then we struggle to say who would be the best of the rest who deserves you know, for me Oliver Solberg would be one that I would be looking at, but I'm not sure how and I are ready to, to accept yet. They made a mistake with Oliver Solberg. Uh, I think it's too early for them to accept that. Uh, so, you know, maybe Solberg won't be there, but he should be considered. He absolutely should be considered. You know, um, the others, it's he, difficult. It's really, really difficult to work out who should be there. Uh, and I'm quite looking forward to seeing what does happen over the next month or two. Because it is going to get very interesting. That is for sure.
0: And and you mentioned Cali roman Perry's future. Do you think there's a significant chance of him actually leaving Toyota? Next
1: year? Yes. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I don't think. I, listen, I don't know. You, you never know. You never. I was absolutely astonished when Oytanak left Toyota. So you never know. Um, but the Toyota Company or the Toyota TGR WRC that Tanak left was a very different company with a very different culture from the one that Kali Rovenpera finds himself leading. Uh, you know, it, it was difficult for Tanak within Toyota, and, and there are stories that will come out and will be told eventually about that whole situation there. Um, but it's not the same for Raven Perra. Rovenpera is loving it. He's comfortable, he's winning rallies, well, he's winning titles. He's drifting in Toyotas, uh, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, high are desperate to win. Uh, you want, and if it comes down to a, a battle of the biggest pockets, then Callie Robenpear is going to become a very, very, very wealthy young man, because you know, it, if it comes down to a bidding war, who knows how far that can go? Uh, but, but you know, do we expect him to leave Toyota? No. Will we be? Surprised if he left Toyota, probably not either. So, so, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I expect him to stay, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? As I say, it will come down to a number of things, not just a bidding war. Uh, you know, he will. He wants to win. He clearly wants your know, assurances that he's in a car that can win. So he, he'll be assured a very good salary from Toyota, and he will be assured a very, very good car from Toyota and Hyundai offer him a better package, car-wise and money-wise? We'll see. We'll see, I think, over the next three or four weeks. We will find out. Out of all the drivers who are currently in WRC1
0: cars, who could you actually see being moved to another team?
1: Any of them. Any of them that are out of contract. Any of them. You know, that's what the history tells us. You know, the, the, the TANAC situation tells us that. Situations with Solberg in the past tell us that. When he went back to M-Sport in 2011 or 12, whatever it was, you know, he left M-Sport at the end of the 90s. Uh, or was it the end of the 90s? I think it was the early 2000s, under a real cloud. Um, and you'd never have guessed he was going to go back, but he did. He went back to M-Sport. Anything can happen. Absolutely anything can happen. But but I don't think we're going to see too many surprises. I really don't. But there is the potential for one or two relatively big surprises. Um, but I don't I don't expect to see too many, that's for sure. We just don't have enough teams. We don't have enough seats. <laughs> you know, um, There aren't too many options for our contracted drivers. Yeah, and that, that's the unfortunate part with the WRC
0: right now. There isn't much of a place to move. And if you go out of luck with a team and there's bad blood between you guys, that just
1: loses another option for you. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You know, you can't burn too many bridges because you know you haven't got that many bridges that safely get you across the river in rallying. Um, so yeah, no, no, it, it's it's an interesting situation, and we'll see what happens. Uh, the, you know, there's clearly questions about the likes of Loeb. Uh, there's questions potentially, I guess, about Tanak, I and mean, then you might you might say there's questions, and there, there obviously will be questions about Ogier. What does he want to do? What does he want to do? Does he want to keep doing a part-time programme? He's shown this year he probably is the most capable driver of taking the challenge to Robert. You know, Does he want a full-time season? I don't know. I really, really don't know. But as I say, I think all these questions will be answered. You know, Elvin Evans, his contract's up. I can't see him going anywhere. I really can't because Elvin Evans, um, much as he has had well-publicised struggles and getting to grips with that car is, you know, he may be struggling you know, for wins and for championship challenges, but he's not struggling for points. He's not struggling for podiums. Um, he's had two wins this year. So, no, I, I don't really see much happening with Evans. But but I I think there is the potential for a little surprise or two along the way. We'll have to wait and see. There was a,
0: a report by Dirtfish the other day. I think it was two days ago that the 2024 calendar will be revealed within the next month. Um, What event would you like to see added back to the calendar or be added to the calendar
1: that hasn't been a WRC event before? Yeah. Well, the the two obvious ones that we were mentioned in that article that have been potentially put back to 25, you know, Dirtfish is a, an American company. You know, we're a rally school based out of Seattle. We're a media company based out of Snoqualmie just outside Seattle. Um, And we would love to see uh, a round of the WRC coming back to the States. And it's not far off. And what's really encouraging is that they've got a really good team together. And I noticed on social media just, I think, yesterday, uh, they're still planning on training days for WRC marshals and personnel, timekeepers, that kind of thing. Uh, Same weekend as Greece. There's a training day, I think, down in Chattanooga. I think it was that I saw. So there's still very much a... Desire and, in some ways, a need, an absolute need for the WRC to come back to the states. Uh, you know, the success of Formula One in the states over recent years shows that, done properly, you know, the market in the states is just astronomical. Uh, so we need to be in the states for for you know the manufacturer interest uh, because of the size of the car market, because of the size of the potential audience that we could get in the states. And I would love to see them back. And I'm, you know. Obviously disappointed that it doesn't look as if it's going to be on next year's calendar, but I'm encouraged by the fact that they're still pushing towards that and it's a difficult thing to take your country that's been out in the w r c for so long and, and to um you have to come up with all that's needed to put on round with the w r c it's it's financially it's a big ask in terms of you're organizing it logistically it's a huge ask, and you need to put all of those pieces in place before you can realistically run a successful round of the WRC in the States. And what's encouraging is that all of those elements are beginning to come together. And we're closer now to getting a round of the WRC back in the States than we have been in the last twenty, twenty-five years since we last had a round. So so I'm encouraged by that. The other country I would love to see is Saudi Arabia. And I know that's maybe slightly controversial, but you know I've spent a bit of time in Saudi Arabia in the past and you know, from what I can see, and, and you know, I'll, I'll happily discuss this point with anyone that wants to discuss it. You know, I can see sports having a real influence, positive influence on what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and I don't think we should be scared of going to Saudi Arabia um, because, you know, for me, it's the young people within that country who are crying out to see our sport, to see you know, the world's greatest golfers, the world's greatest footballers, the world's greatest motorsport exponents on there. So they're crying out for it. And it gives them something uh, really positive to, to build their hopes on. Uh, and I've seen it. I've seen the change. You know, I first went to that country nine or 10 years ago. Uh, and when I went back to the Dakar this year, I was really pleasantly surprised by, uh, you know, the steps forward. And I know there are still massive issues uh, within that country. But but it's going the right way and the young people are the people that will demand change, will force change, will affect change. And, and we need to encourage them and sport encourages them. And I'm, I'm really encouraged by the fact that it does look as if, again, you know, the WRC is heading back to the Middle East because we need to be in the Middle East somewhere. Jordan was a great rally uh, and and it was a shame that we lost Jordan, but we need to be heading back to the Middle East um, and, you know, a partner like the Saudi Arabian Motorsport Federation would, would I think, be quite positive for our sport. With,
0: with the American event, I struggle to see it being run in 2025 for the sole reason of it is pretty much a brand new event that has never been run before. So I think there'll be questions from the WRC if it can handle... An
1: event, yeah you know I, I can understand those questions, uh, but you know you have to have processes and you have to go through processes before before you can run a WRC event, and I am absolutely certain that those processes are already in place and are already the, the, the wheels are already turning um, and it won't happen overnight it absolutely won't, and they are right not to push for 2024, and and you're, you're also right. Your 2025 potentially is only 18 months away. Um, realistically, 24 months, two years away, maybe a little less, 22 months away um, from uh, around in the States. But that is enough time. I'll tell you now, that is more than enough time to, if you have the will and if you have the budget, if you have the right people in place at the very, very top, uh, then that is more than enough time to get all the elements together, to get everything in line, to put everything in place and to make a successful round of the championship. Um, I'm sure, and and actually it was Simon Larkin, who's the, uh, what is he, the sporting director for WRC Promoter. He said, look, you know, we could feasibly put a round on next year in America, but, but it won't be as good as it could possibly be. And what we want is we want a round that absolutely showcases what the WRC is all about. And that, to put everything that's needed in place for that, will take time. And that will take the extra 12 months. And, I, and I'm, yeah, I'm confident. I'm confident that we will get there. And, you know, we need to get there. For M Sport, for Ford, we need to be back in the States. and I, I think it's almost a non-negotiable from Ford's point of view. You know, a championship needs to be back in the States. So, uh, yeah, with the right people and the right will and determination, it will happen and it will happen in 25 difficult as that might be
0: um so the event that and i know i'm gonna sound so characteristic by saying this because i have an article coming out near the end of the month blasting the wrc for running this event for the time it did the event i would kind of like to see back on the calendar is torty course
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Would I like to see that back? Yeah, but, but I mean, what what is your reason for wanting it back?
0: I just because of the pure history of the event, I guess, would be the main reason because it is one of the most historic events with uh, a long history. Looking past the tragedies that have happened at the event, but it is definitely one of the most historic events that the WRC could put on, um, far to. Say maybe Rally Monte Carlo and events like that, but it is one with a decent history. And it's also a tarmac event, which I think there needs to be another (coughs) tarmac event in the calendar.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get I get the the need for balance between tarmac and gravel. Um, yeah, look, you know, you can't deny the history of the tour de course. It has been uh standardized. Is that the word over the years? I don't know. It's, it's 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 had his wings clipped you know from the Tour de course that, that we all love and we all remember from from many many years ago uh, I, I don't have any problems with it I really don't have any problems with it but what 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 we have that we can sell in our sport is variety you know it really is about your know, the variety of different rallies different events different terrains that we can offer uh, and as long as long as we don't have too many tarmac rallies that look the same and okay Tour de course, you could argue does look quite different from a lot of the other tarmac rallies. And yeah, why not bring it back? But you, know, we're in a situation where we had two rallies in France, effectively, with you know the Monte Carlo Rally effectively based out of Gap or out of uh, well, I can't remember the name of the other place that we were based out of. Um, but you know, you, you had two two rounds in in France, two tarmac rounds in France, and I didn't think that was particularly healthy. I, I think you know we, we just need to make sure that when we bring any rally into the championship, it offers something a little different because we thrive on you know, the variety that we can offer. We can make things look different every single round. Our championship looks different. It gives us something else to sell. It gives our fans something different to watch. Uh, and as long as we can do that, and yeah, you know, I, I would be happy to have Corsica coming back, but as I say, I'm not, I'm not entirely happy at the prospect of two rounds in France. Uh, you know, and, and I can't see Monte Carlo stepping aside to do a rotational. Say, for example, with Corsica. If if they did that, then great. You know, why not? Uh, but I can't see that happening. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, right, right now, I think it's a uh, it's a tricky one uh, because the French Federation have supported their WRC round uh, very strongly in the past, and it doesn't quite seem to be the same will to put the money in these days. And at the end of the day, it does does come down to money. Um, if you're not putting the money in, then you're absolutely not at the table. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I'd like to see a return of course at some point, but but it's not one that I'm absolutely hanging out to see.
0: Um, it, with the previous mentioned Dirtfish article about the 2024 calendar, it mentioned that Rally Poland could be making a return. What's your mm. thoughts on that?
1: Uh, what's an interesting one because it's a you, know, you could argue it's just another fast gravel rally. Okay, over the years, Poland has proven to be a little bit uh, challenging in terms of the weather. Um, but what we have to remember is why Poland dropped out of the calendar. Poland dropped out of the calendar, not because of the quality of its stages, the quality of the competition. It dropped out because you know, they had enormous issues with controlling the crowds. Where they run Rally Poland, uh, Polish Rally, is very, very accessible to some really strong rallying communities throughout Europe. Uh, and the fans just come in their hundreds of thousands, and it was almost impossible to safely marshal all of those fans. So it proved at the last edition of Rally Poland, uh, they must have had assurances. They, they absolutely must have had assurances from the organisers that uh, they can handle the crowds this year. Um, it's an interesting one for me, because as I say, we're going to Latvia, we're going to Finland, obviously, and we're going to Poland. That's three similar events. Now, I've just come off the back of saying that rallying is all about diversity. It's all about, um, you know, variety. Uh, and, and we have three events you could argue are potentially very, very similar there. Um, and I would I would be looking to avoid that. But at the end of the day, it's also a commercial decision. And I get this 100 percent, and I'm I'm never going to argue against that, you know. Uh, you have to take the money. You have to take the money if they can deliver the right sporting elements. If they can deliver the safety elements. If they can deliver the um, logistical elements and all the rest that goes into making a round of the championship successful, championship successful. And if they can pay a big wadge of cash, then yep, I, I I have no issues with that. You know, the promoter needs to make money to invest in our sports, uh, but. But the balance in the calendar is critical to the success. And that's a balance between snow, ice, gravel, tarmac. And it's a balance between the type of rallies. And for me, three rallies very much in the same sort of geography with a very, very similar sort of style, a very similar appeal. For me, that's not a precedent I would like to be setting or seeing set. You know, I can understand it happening for a year or two um, while things like America are sorted, potentially Saudi is sorted fine. You know, you need to bring rallies in, to bring rallies that... You know, the other thing, you know, rallies are paying to be on the calendar. Generally, they're also paying to promote themselves. They're paying to to improve the spectacle of their events. So they're, they're investing, they're invested and they are investing in their own events. And that's great for the championship. Um, but as I say, I just think that we need to be a little bit cautious about getting too many similar events there.
0: So, if Poland weren't to come to the calendar, which event could you logically
1: see being added instead? Uh, look, um, the Estonians. Like, <laughs> problem problem is Estonia is the same as Latvia. It's the same. It's not quite the same, you know. And it, it's it's easy to say they're the same, but they're not. They're different challenges, but they are very very similar, you know, Estonia. Um, would be ready to go again and, and from what we understand may well be back in twenty twenty-five. Um I would have liked to have seen either the USA or Saudi Arabia coming in this year. Clearly that's not going next year, that's not going to happen. Uh you know, we've seen Ypres, You talked about the lack of tarmac events and the balance of tarmac events. Uh, you know, for me Ypres was just a fantastic event. Now it's an odd one because I've always loved Ypres and and what I've learned, certainly since the WRC made its, what, two appearances at Ypres, is that Ypres is perhaps an event that is more enjoyable on the ground than it is watching on the television. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of negativity about the, the style of the stages and, and maybe how boring they appear. You don't get any of that when you're on the event. It's just excitement that just goes almost nonstop from, you know, daylight till, till dusk. Uh, so, you know, I, I like Ypres. I think Ypres, Ypres has got a, a a tremendous appeal. It's got a tremendous kind of a character to it. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Ypres coming back. I also am desperate to see GB coming back. Um, you know, if you talk about rallies with history and heritage, then Rally GB has all of that. So I'd like to see GB coming back. But I do also want us to be going into new markets. And I, I think it's really, really important. You know, we went back to... Africa to Kenya for the Safari and it's been a huge success. We went back to Japan last year for Rally Japan again. You know, when you see the crowds and and the way that rallying is received there and Toyota received it, just wonderful to see. So I you know, I, I like to see new events coming into the calendar. Um so maybe the round I want to see, we don't know about yet. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the balance is difficult, and I, and I do appreciate that that's difficult to get. And I do appreciate that there are so many different factors that the promoter has to work with when they consider the balance of the calendar. Uh, you know, it's a difficult one, a really difficult one, but, but you know, my only thing to caution against is getting too many rides that look too similar. And if we can avoid that, then we have absolutely a green light to go and, and give it all our best for the whole season and how we project our sport. Um, but no, we don't. We don't want it to become homogenised. We don't want it to become predictable. We don't want it to become samey. We want to keep that element of diversity and variety there.
0: There's there's a rally. I'm surprised that you didn't mention all that. There's actually two. They they take place in nearly the same place anyway. But Australia and New Zealand.
1: Yeah, I knew you were going to mention those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, you know, both great rallies that, that offer something different. Um, and, and again, rallies that are really important because, you know, we move away from Europe for those rallies. And, and you know, we talk about the importance of being in the Middle East. You know, Australasia is a huge, hugely important car market when you take into account, you know, not just Australia, New Zealand, but, you know, obviously Malaysia, China, India, that whole area, that whole area down there. And, and, and we are woefully underrepresented in that region. Um, so yeah, it is important. You know, the reality is it ain't going to happen in the near future, sadly. Um, Australia just nothing's happening, nothing's happening with Australia, and it it frustrates the hell out of me. I do quite a lot of work out there, um, and they just can't decide on what they want to do with the WRC. And it's it's a shame because you lose your place in the calendar, and it's 10 times more difficult to get it back. Um, New Zealand, yeah, you know, New Zealand was good last year. Uh, Was it great? No. No. Did they do everything right? No. Uh, but it was just good to be back on those roads. And you know, what Australia and New Zealand give is that variety and diversity that I talk about. Uh, and they, you, know, you you tune in and you see something completely different when you see the highlights or the live programming from there. Uh, and you, you, have, you have rallies that are as well run as any rallies in the world. On top of that, you've got in both of those countries a tremendous rallying community. Uh, so the elements, again, are there. It just requires... It requires from the very top the right leadership within those countries to to, uh, to see them back in the WRC. But, you know, it does come down to budget. It does come down to uh, a will from the organisers and the, the various, um, you sanctioning bodies. And I'm not sure it's there. I'm really not sure it's there right now. I would love to be proven wrong with that. But no, I don't see 2024, definitely not 25, highly unlikely, 26, I think, is the earliest opportunity for an Australia or a New Zealand to return, and that's sad. That's really sad. Yeah, and and the reason why I mentioned,
0: especially New Zealand, is because some, like looking at some of the photos from last year and looking at some of the places the the rally took place, it is
1: beautiful <sighs> to see. And it's what rallying's about, you know. It's what rallying's all about, and it's what it's one of those elements that we have, one of those assets that we have, that we underutilize, that we undersell. Um, you, know, you go to the Fonger Coast, and my God, what a piece of road that is. And it's a piece of road that people are driving every single day. You know, uh, you know and we, we don't utilize that enough. And yeah, you know, that is the great thing. You, know, you go to Australia, and even the most recent additions of Rally Australia and Coffs Harbour, some beautiful roads. I mean, we all remember back to the glory days in Perth and Western Australia, and those incredible you know, typically Australian outback roads, it's uh, just, just amazing. Visually, the sport down there is just amazing. It's covered in a beautiful way and it looks stunning with, as you say, the photographs, the video element, the TV element of it is stunning. And, and you know, that's what we need. And, and when we get two or three rallies, four rallies that all look the same, it loses that impact. You know, The impact, when you see cars going between those gum trees or down that red dirt or along those amazing cambered coast roads, it makes you go wow. Um, you know, when you see cars going over the jumps in Finland, it makes you go wow. Um, but when you see two or three rallies in the third one, you're kind of going, but this looks very similar to the last one, similar to the one before that. And it loses that wow element. Uh, I think it's always important that we look to keep the variety there. And, and Australia and New Zealand always offer that. And fingers crossed at some point in the future, they'll, they'll offer it again. And that's what
0: I mentioned with the more tarmac rally because you look at from pretty much, I think it's pretty much like after Croatia, it's all gravel until. Uh, I'm trying to think of the event this year, Japan,
1: Japan Japan's or
0: central, no oh, a central European,
1: central yeah. European rally? Yeah, the one I'm forgetting about. That that would be interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know it is a long, a long gap, isn't it, between tarmac rallies? Um, we have two out of the next four being tarmac, um, but yeah, you know, uh, gravel rallying is is uh, you, you you get people on both sides. You know, those, those that will say that you know they prefer watching tarmac rallying, those that prefer watching gravel rallying. I prefer, I, I like watching both, um, but if I had to choose, I would always choose gravel rallying. I just love a car you know, going sideways, throwing up the dust, throwing up um, the rocks, uh, you know, plenty of opposite lock. I love it. I love watching cars on gravel. Um, and, you know, and, and that's, that's where the sport was born, really, on gravel. Uh, but we do have to have the right balance. And, and it has been quite a long wait since the last tarmac rally. But, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens in the, in the two of the remaining four. Uh, and we'll see what happens with next year's calendar. Uh, but it doesn't look as if they're going to add any more tarmac rallies in next year. Unless GB gets its act together. Who knows? That might be the surprise because that will be tarmac if, if, if it does happen, which will be a bit strange, but, you know, but it will be tarmac. So you know, I can't, I can't see us um, changing that balance too much next year, uh, but it's something that they may be looking at
0: for, for, for coming years. So I've seen your uh, message on WhatsApp that you have to go soon. Do you have time for two um, more questions?
1: I do. I do have time. Yeah. I'm very Kay. sorry about that. Uh, but my kids are waiting to be fed. Um, and will very shortly be shouting at me.
0: Kids <laughs> need food, what?
1: Yeah, yeah. They can go and raid the fridge. They can eat ice cream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, time for a couple more. Um. So I've been wanting to ask this because I think I know the answer. Who Who has been your favourite person to interview uh, that you interviewed?
1: Well, I, you know what? Craig, Craig Breen, Greg Breen, without any question um he, he was just a joy he was just a joy and he was he was uh he was just so honest and and you he had the ability to come out with things which were just astonishing just at the drop of a hat he could come up with your phrases he could come up with analogies he could come up with stories that were you're worthy of poetry at times um it, it was just incredible he was a, he was just a delight and a joy and, and you never, you never spoke to Craig Green without a smile on your face. Every time you talk to Craig, you have a smile on your face. Uh, and, and, and I miss him. And I, I miss him really, really, really desperately. And the sport misses him. Uh, the other one is Peter Solberg. I just, you know, I got into the sport with, as I mentioned earlier on, the Subaru World Rally Team. And, you know, Solberg won his first rally with us. He won his first championship with us. His only championship. Um, And Solberg has always been uh, my absolute favourite, but no, you know, in terms of my 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 my, um, you know, the the best fun it was definitely Craig, and and I don't think we'll see it again because Craig was really really special, really special with his talent, with his um, just with his his love of the sport, his 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 goodness. He was just a good guy, but a good, bright, intelligent, witty, charming man, and 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 he was. He was a joy. He was a joy, and and as I say, I I never don't remember ever talking to him without a smile on my face, or I never certainly ended an interview with anything other than a smile. Uh, so yeah, no, Craig Green is definitely the one.
0: Uh, and then my second question was, what is you? You've heard probably numerous of stories that are interesting. What which one of your favorites? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, that's a heck, a heck of a thing to throw at me at this point in the interview. Um, Favourite stories? No, I can't tell you because it's not an After Dark programme, but, you know, <laughs> the stories the stories that, that I've heard from the, the good old days, from the 80s and 90s, are just astonishing, uh, really astonishing, about, you know, how drivers... Um, you know, they weren't the athletes, shall we say, that they are these days. And they weren't as committed to To being athletes as as our drivers are these days uh but no, you know I, I don't know the best story um i don't know i don't know I, 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 that's, a, that's a really difficult one, really difficult one because there've been so many you know the, the best one of the best moments for me was outside the town hall in agueau in france Raleigh, france sebastian Loeb. I think it was his sixth win in the championship, sixth championship win. It was the first time we'd been to that part, the Alsace region, uh, and he won the championship on the Super Special right outside his town hall because Hagenau was, was his local town. Um, and it was emotional. It was a crowd of twenty twenty five thousand 25,000 people outside the town hall. Uh, and it was really emotional. It was just one of those great radio moments where you just felt as if you were conveying something very special. And it reminded me of a great line from probably one of the best commentators the world has ever seen, Murray Walker. And Murray Walker was asked about his job as as a Formula One commentator and what made it so great. And he said, look, there is nothing better in my job than standing at the shoulder of sporting giants and proclaiming their greatness to the world. And I felt a little bit of that Standing, doing the radio coverage, trying to convey this incredible champion, winning his sixth title. A man that, was, was, that had ice running through his veins that at that point, had tears streaming down his face. Um, and an adoring, wild crowd of 25,000 uh, Alsatians um, just cheering him on. It was, it was remarkable. It was a remarkable, remarkable 10 or 15 minutes of radio and, and, and one of my, my best moments, one of my best memories. Um, but but in terms of stories, for another day, maybe at some point when I've left the sport, I'll tell you some of the stories I was told or have been told. Uh, they are they are quite remarkable.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the End of the Dust podcast. Hosted by Joe Moore, presented by Belly of Sports.